there, and welcome to another episode of Here's a Thought, the blogcast for people who overthink. I'm Jan M. Flynn, a fiction writer and essayist, and I have a serious habit of overthinking about almost everything, so I know what it's like. Sometimes you need a little relief from the busyness of your own brain. So once a week, I invite you to take a quick break from that incessant voice in your head by listening to the one in mine. This week's episode, my husbands get along well now. It's taken them a long time, even though one of them is dead. So here's the thing. I knew husband two long before I met husband one. Two and I met in the dizziness of our first year in college. We'd both just reached escape velocity from our childhood homes, our days newly imbued with freedom and possibility and not yet weighted with responsibility. As student actors in a thriving theater department, we spent long days and nights rehearsing plays, our mutual attraction brewing in that youthful cauldron of heightened emotion. And yet, our tickle-and-slap friendship never tipped fully into romance. He was dating someone, I was dating someone. Through our college days, we play-flirted while ladder-stepping into other relationships, never quite connecting with one another. Eventually, he got a scholarship to a famous theater conservatory in San Francisco, and I finished my degree at a university several hours north before finding my way into a graduate program in Chicago. We stayed friends. Tu and I wrote long, effusive letters to each other back in those pre-email days. But on the occasions when we would reunite back on our old stomping grounds, whatever might have been between us failed to gel. Looking back, Two and I agree it's a good thing we didn't go the distance back in the day. We weren't ready for each other. We weren't ready, period. I met husband one in my mid-twenties. I was living alone in L.A., working day jobs and making a dispiriting round of agents, auditions, and acting workshops. I had a tiny car and a tiny apartment in North Hollywood with a borrowed table and chairs, a cast-off refrigerator, and half of a sofa someone had given me. Life still vibrated with possibility, but its edges had hardened. My new world felt perilous. The business I was struggling to break into was capricious, and my days were centered more around survival than adventure. I had a tight group of friends, all aspiring actors full of wit and laughter as we hung out together in our free time, drinking jug wine, but beneath our nonchalance ran a shared, unspoken disquiet. When would life take off in earnest? Then... Friends introduced me to one. He was a sculptor and craftsman with a bigger-than-life personality who had no intention of starving. Unlike my actor buddies, he didn't seem to care what anybody else thought of him. He'd recently ended a long-term relationship, and while he and I were wildly different people, we were primed for pairing. The attraction was instant. Our relationship took off like a rocket. Three months later, I moved in with him, another 18 months, and we were married. Our rocket hit some turbulence on its trajectory, raising kids, buying a house, and one founding his own woodworking business, all the intensity, tension, and tedium of adulting. But we remained aloft for 23 years. Meanwhile, two and I stayed in touch, an exchange of Christmas cards, reports from mutual friends, the occasional sighting at a party or other gathering when two was in town— one tolerated this level of connection, although he growled about it from time to time. Something about two made him uneasy. But two stayed in his own lane. A craftsman himself, he sometimes shopped at one's business, occasionally seeking his advice on a project. He was friendly to our kids when he saw them over the years. To them, 
He was just part of the constellation of forgettable adults our family's starship passed through from time to time. And then, right in the middle of everything, one died. With no warning, the rocket blew up in midair. One summer morning, one and I hit the treadmills at our local gym. Late that afternoon, he came home early from work while I was finishing up some paperwork for the long-delayed graduate program I was starting in the fall. He complained of being tired and needing a nap. It was unusual for him, but I wasn't worried about it. Until I couldn't wake him up. Like any explosion, a jumble of things happened while time telescoped back and forth. Sirens, paramedics, the hospital, the solemn-faced doctor. Then, phone calls, relatives, arrangements, the service. Bewildering days and endless nights in which the boys and I picked our way through the debris. Two, still single, heard about all this from mutual friends while he was on the other side of the country performing in a production of Hamlet. To this day, he winces when he recalls the competing emotions pushing through his shock at the news. Weeks later, someone told me that two wanted to reach out to me but wasn't sure how or when he should. I was too shell-shocked to offer suggestions. By fall, my older son had returned to college and the younger one was gamely taking on his sophomore year of high school. There'd been nothing resembling a succession plan for one small business, so I'd given up my graduate program and spent my days unloading lumber shipments, stacking molding, puzzling over accounts, and explaining to customers why one wasn't there to help them. I did my wailing and weeping in the car on the way back from work. I made sure I'd pulled myself together before I picked up my son from practice and went home to make him dinner. At night, I wrote a letter to one to let him know how things were going. Then I looked at the ceiling and listened to the creaking of the house and the cacophony in my head until morning. A day came when I had a small shock while sitting at a stoplight waiting to turn left. For just a moment there, I felt normal, not the same as before, but also not as though I were stumbling through a continual emergency. Then, two came back to town. Two showed up in the fullest sense of the term. We met for lunch a couple of times. He had a knack for knowing when to simply listen and absorb my jagged conversational forays and when to distract me with funny stories. He could see through my bravado, and I knew it, and it made me feel safe. He asked if there was anything he could do to help me. Lots of well-intentioned people had asked me the same thing, but they didn't have much in the way of actual assistance to offer. Two, with his between-engagements free time and his advanced handyman skills, did. The house that one and I had remodeled was still missing a lot of the finish work and had a fair amount of deferred maintenance, and I'd already thrown my back out once trying to keep up with the landscaping. Two showed up with his toolbox one weekend and worked all day, both days. On Sunday night, he left the toolbox behind. He came back every week, and then every day. It was tough on my sons when they learned there was more than casual friendship going on between two and me, the boys and I were each processing our loss on our own timetables, and it was impossible to explain to them how their mother could fall for another man while still grieving their father. But for Two and me, our timing was finally right. Two took on the daunting task of modernizing my business so I could one day sell it. The specialty lumber store was one's dream, definitely not mine, and while I needed the income from it to get my boys through school, working in it felt like I was serving a sentence. There was never any question in my or two's mind where all this was heading. 
we were married a little over one year after one died. My family was thrilled. Two's, which had despaired of him ever settling down, was over the moon. One's family was wounded, but gracious. The boys got drunk as lords at the wedding and took two aside to assure him that if he ever failed to treat me right, they would F him up for real. Two responded, Boys, I love your mother and I would never do anything to hurt her. You have my word. I know this because some years later my nephew, who had been looking on as this scene unfolded, told me about it, and how much Two's gentle dignity had impressed him. For the first five years of our marriage, Two tied up one's loose ends. When he wasn't working in the business, Two was tackling the house and property, a gargantuan job. One had had a genius for launching projects, not so much for finally completing them. For the most part, Two put his own career on hold, turning down long theater gigs and extended jobs on location. Always, he approached my sons with sensitivity and respect, never once attempting to assume the role of replacement father. One, meanwhile, was everywhere I looked, despite his physical absence. I lived in the house he designed, used the furniture he'd built for it, worked in the business he'd founded. Two and I both had dreams about one, dreams that took different forms, but shared a theme. In every version, one would return with no explanation, expecting his home and business, and especially me, to be waiting for him. I would awaken from such dreams feeling unsettled and deceived. Two would feel unsettled and marginalized, pushed out by an imperious ghost. These dreams persisted even after we sold the business, sold the house, and moved to a different state. Like many who survived the sudden death of a loved one, letting go of one was a bewildering, wrenching, lengthy process. Apparently, one was having just as much trouble letting go of me, and he didn't seem disposed to let two forget it. But after 19 years, it seems the three of us have made peace. The boys are fully-fledged adults now, successful and thriving. Husband two and I have long since reached the vaporous trailing end of middle age. Husband one was six years older than me, but now I'm 15 years his senior. He might not recognize me if I passed him on the street. One still visits my dreams, but infrequently these days, and when he does, he usually appears as a familiar, benign figure, like a distant friend who has dropped by for a drink. He shows up often when I dream about my sons, sometimes for reassurance, or maybe just to check in. As for two, his nighttime visits from one have both mellowed and tapered off as well. Not long ago, the two of them had something of a breakthrough. In Two's dream, he and One were in the garage, working on separate projects. They proceeded in companionable silence, handing each other tools and equipment when needed. At one point, One noticed something he'd made, a sculpture or a piece of furniture, sitting in one corner. Hey, he said to Two, wasn't that my stuff? Two followed his glance. That? Yeah, it was. Oh, said One. Cool. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Here's a Thought with Jan M. Flynn. If you haven't yet, I hope you'll subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. And if you leave a positive review or a star rating wherever you can, that really helps us build our audience. To learn more about me or to read more by me, please visit me at janmflynn.net. And until next time, may all your thoughts be good ones.